Amen. Love the Lord tonight. Say amen. God is good all the time. God is a good God. Amen. John chapter 20, verse number 19. The Bible said, Then the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, came Jesus and stood in the midst and saith unto them, Peace be unto you. And when he had so said, he showed unto them his hands and his side. And then were the disciples glad when they saw the Lord. And then verse 28, And Thomas answered and said unto him, My Lord and my God. There's coming a day, church, when all of us are going to see him for ourselves. Now, we're going to cry, My Lord and my God. We're going to worship him. and We're going to cast our crowns at his feet. No matter what, the Bible said to him that endureth to the end, the same shall be saved. So when they use that, when we, we use that word endure, that, that implies a struggle. Amen. It's not always going to be easy. But if we'll hold on, if we'll fight the good fight of faith. If we'll do the will of God, amen, we'll be saved in the end. You love the Lord tonight? Say amen. Let's lift our hands toward heaven and ask the Lord to have his way. Father, we love you tonight. Thank you, God, for your presence that we've already been made to feel in this house. I pray, Lord, that you'd anoint the preaching of your word this evening. I pray, God, you'll anoint our ears to hear, our hearts to receive, our minds to apply this word to our lives. In the name of Jesus and everybody said amen. And amen. You might be seated. Now, we, we moved along in the message today. And we looked at several situations that looked hopeless, that looked impossible. We found that when God got in the middle of those situations or they had an encounter with Christ, that everything changed. And so we just decided when we came to the altar today to bring whatever we were dealing with, whatever we were facing, whatever we were going through, just bring it and cast it at the feet of Jesus because we understand what the Bible means when it says casting all of our cares upon him for he cares for us. I want you to understand tonight that Jesus does care about you. It's not that he is a million miles away unaware of what's going on on planet earth. It's not that he's in heaven somewhere oblivious to what you and I, who we are, what we're dealing with, and the spiritual battles that we fight. And that's not all. Not only is he aware of it, he's able to do something about it. Amen. And he's able to keep us in the midst of it all. The Apostle Paul said, I am persuaded that he's able to keep that that I have committed to him against that day. In other words, everything I've committed to him myself, all that I am, all that I have, the Lord is able to keep me. He'll keep us through the good times. He'll keep us through the trials, through the crises of life. He'll keep us through the onslaught or in spite of the onslaught of the enemy because we have committed ourselves to him. Not only will he keep us, not only does he, is he aware of us, but he's able to do something about what you and I are facing, which simply means to the church that Jesus is the solution to everything. Amen. You know, as I stand behind this pulpit tonight, I look across this congregation. The faces uh, and the individuals are varied and many. And a lot of the things that you face as an individual are, are very different than what others may be going through in their lives tonight. And so we have many different issues and problems and crises in this one local uh, assembly tonight. But there's one solution to them all, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ. There's nothing that he's not aware of. There's nothing that he can't handle. There's nothing that Christ cannot do. And we establish that today. And so I want to, as we move on, I want us to remember and then move on into how the Lord deals with us and the issues that you and I face in this life. Now, the Bible tells us in Luke 18, 27, and he said, the things which are impossible with men are possible with God. And yes, there are some things that man cannot do. They just can't help us. But there's nothing or no thing that God cannot do. Now, moving through this quickly, in John chapter 9, the Bible testifies to that fact. 
says there was a man who was born blind from birth. What could man do for him? The answer to that is nothing. They had no answer. Man gave him no hope. He's destined to die as he was born. And that is blind and in darkness. But the Bible said Jesus spit in the dirt, made clay, put it in his eyes, sent him to wash in the pool of Siloam, and the Bible said he came back seeing. Mark chapter 5 tells the story of a woman with an issue of blood. The Bible said it had been to many physicians, spent all she had, and was worse than she ever was. She was dying, and all hope was gone. What could man do for her? Well, the answer for her is the same as a blind man, nothing. There's nothing anybody can do. As far as man's perspective, it's an impossible situation. But she heard about Jesus, and she said, I know if I can just touch the hem of his garment, I know I'll be made whole. And the Bible said, she pressed her way through the crowd. She touched the hem of his garment and was made instantly whole. Then again, Luke chapter 5 tells the story of an impossible situation that came to a turnaround. It talks about a leper, not just a leper, but a man full of leprosy. Man says, lock him up. He's a menace to society. Put him away. And this man was destined to live his life as a dead man walking. No contact with his family. No contact with friends. No interaction with society. And he was barred from the temple. He can't even go to church. What can man do for him? And the answer is nothing. It is an impossible case. But the Bible said, Jesus was moved with compassion, reached out his hand and touched him. And the scripture said, Immediately, he was made clean. Amen. What about the three Hebrew children thrown into the midst of a burning, fiery furnace? Nebuchadnezzar intended to kill them. What can anybody do? What can man do? And the answer again is absolutely nothing. It's impossible. Then the Bible said there's a fourth man that came walking in the fire. Jesus came walking in the midst of the fire, and the fire could not burn them. And then the testimony of the precious mother, a widow of Nain. They were in a funeral possession. Her child is dead in the coffin. She's going out of town to the cemetery, and Jesus is coming in, into town. They meet. He touches the coffin, and the Bible said that that young man that was dead set up in spake. Here's another impossible situation, and the Lord has turned it all around. And so can we agree together again tonight that no matter what we face, no matter what we go through as we look at the Scripture, at the variety of situations, amen, do we understand tonight and can we agree that the Lord, that Jesus is Lord and Master of it all, amen, can we agree tonight that he has the final say? Amen. Not the banker, not the doctor, not the lawyer, certainly not the devil. Jesus has the final say. All right? Okay, well, now let's go back to the disciples in the text. The Bible tells us that they are gathered behind locked doors. They're mourning over the loss of their leader. Their light had turned to darkness. Their joy had turned to despair. Their faith had turned to fear. And fear had them held in bondage behind locked doors. I have to stop here and say that that fear destroys more dreams than failure ever will. Fear is a fierce enemy to the individual who has set in their heart to serve the Lord and to do the will of God. Amen. The Bible says that perfect love casts out all fear. The scripture also tells us that God has not given us a spirit of fear. Now, when the Bible says that, a spirit of fear, it lets me know it's a good indication that there's an old devil out there, there's a spirit out there, and his name is fear. That's what he does when he comes against you. He tries to cause fear. He wants to replace your faith with fear. He wants to replace your unconditional love of Jesus. Jesus with fear. 
There's a spirit out there that's called fear. And fear is a battle that the church has to overcome. You'll never do anything for God. You'll never press beyond that locked door until you deal with the fear that's in your life. Amen. It is because of fear that, that we hear people say, that could never be me. I cannot. I will not. It is impossible. When you look at something that you determine and you decide right then and there, it's impossible. That's when fear begins to set in. You'll worry about tomorrow. You'll worry about next week as you face the uncertainty that came because of fear. Fear replaces faith. But God hasn't given the church a spirit of fear. But it's sad tonight that multitudes of people live their lives behind locked doors because of fear. And that spirit of fear holds them in bondage. Fear describes their life. They live in it. Some, are, uh, some live in fear of sickness and disease. Others live in fear of violence. I remember a young boy back years ago who went through a terrible crisis in his life for uh, several years. His dad had taken him to counselors. He saw something that was very violent when he was just a little over a toddler. And uh, when he saw that, it, it bothered him so bad in his little mind that he lived in a constant state of fear. He was afraid of everything. You know, the devil, I, I hate the devil. I said, I hate the devil. He Listen, he'll attack a child. He, I hate the devil. This young child lived in a spirit of fear. But as he grew older and he began to trust the Lord and he discovered, I can pray, I can talk to God about those things that cause fear in my life. And God re can replace that fear with faith as his trust in the Lord grew. As his love for the Lord grew, his faith grew ever increasingly higher and stronger until the fear was displaced. Hallelujah. Amen. God will replace the fear that possesses your heart and your mind with a faith if you'll just love him and if you'll just trust him. Amen. So whatever the name you put on it, the results are the same. Fear paralyzes. Fear neutralizes. Fear brings bondage, confusion, and helplessness. But the good news for the child of God is if you won't let it cripple you, God won't let you sit around crippled, petting issues somebody told you was necessary for you to limp into your destiny while you try to find your purpose. Amen. God wants you delivered, and God leaves no excuses for you not to be delivered. Do you believe it? Say amen. And that psychologist on that couch, he'll charge you a small fortune, amen, to pet you and pat you and tell you you've got a reason to be fearful. You've got a reason to be afraid. God never does. No matter what's happened in your past, no matter what's happened in your life, God said if you belong to him, you cannot live and you will not live in fear. You say, oh, but rare. You ought to see what I've been through. You ought to know what I have experienced in my life. I can tell you this. I've seen people in your same situation who experienced Christ, and Christ delivered them from the bondage of fear. Hallelujah. He's a chain breaker. He's a deliverer. He destroys fear as your love for him grows and your faith and your confidence in the Lord grows. Hallelujah. So he leaves no excuse for us to live our lives in fear. Amen. Now, almost every human being has something that really bothers them. Some are afraid of the dark. I'm not talking about that. I'm not talking about when the lights go out. Those basic animal instincts say to you, stand still because you can't see where you're going. I'm not talking about darknesses and devils and demons and what have you. There's a certain amount of a natural, I hate to use the word fear, but uh, there's something in us, an instinct that lets us register danger if we do certain things. Amen. Uh, like I'm not going to step out in front of a car that's coming down the road 60 miles an hour. So I'm afraid if I do that, that car's going to kill me. Is that right? I'm not going to reach down and try to pet a rattlesnake who's coiled 
12 and ready to strike. You see, that's just good sense. There are some things naturally that, that, that there's something there that says, don't do that. Uh, uh, stay away from that. Uh, be careful here. Be careful there. Uh, you know what I'm talking about. But listen what the Bible says about that spiritual condition. For you have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption whereby we cry, Abba, Father. So here you have two things joined together. Amen. The fact that you've not received the spirit of fear and bondage, but you have received received the spirit of adoption. What is the apostle saying? He said when you're adopted into the family of God, when you become a part of the family of God, there's no room for fear and torment in your life. Hallelujah. It's either or. You cannot live in both. If you believe it, say amen. He said when God done a work in your life, that wasn't a work. He didn't install fear. He brought you into his family. Now fear has to go. Amen. Again, for God have not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. In 1 John 4, 18, the Bible said, There is no fear in love, but perfect love cast out all fear, because fear hath torment. He that feareth is not made perfect in love. So the root cause of fear, Fear that dominates the mind and torments the life is an imperfect love for God. Because if I love God like I'm supposed to love God, I know God's faithfulness to me is going to override everything I face, everything I've dealt with, and every strategy of the enemy against my life. Amen. I love my wife perfectly. Amen. If I love her perfectly, I don't have to live in the fear that she's going to find somebody else. Well, I'm going off out there on a mission trip somewhere. Amen. If I, if I love my wife perfectly, amen. We went to a hospital here a while back to see some somebody. I can't remember who it was. We were coming out of the, uh, fixing to get in an elevator, and there were two paramedics that were coming out of the elevator. Amen. I, I know what. I know what pretty and ugly is, all right? I know what handsome and not handsome is, and so does she. We're coming out of the elevator. You know, I see this big, strong, strapping young fella coming out behind that, that, that empty stretcher, and I don't know what it was. I guess just being there with my wife and knowing he was a little better looking than me, not by much, but a little better looking than me, I, I had to throw some shade in his direction. I said, ha, looks like you dropped one somewhere. He said, sir, I said, you dropped one somewhere. That elevator door shut, and she said, that's a nice-looking fella. I said, I know it was. That's why I said what I said. She said, I know that's why you said what you said. Amen. Amen. But I have no fear that I'm going to get replaced. And on the other side of that, I have no fear tonight that God is going to take care of this eternal soul. Amen. Now, this body can perish. Things can happen. It can even happen in ministry and in the course of life. But I know everything between me and God is all right. And this soul that's in his hand is not only well cared for, but it will be taken care of until I reach the other side. Hallelujah. We have no room or excuse for fear in our lives. If you believe that, say amen. Fear will torment you. Fear has torments. And he that feareth the Bible said again, is not made perfect in love. Now you have to ask yourself a question. What is it that makes you afraid? I'm not talking about natural things that we just have a good instinct, a good, a good idea. You know, unless God otherwise says do something, we just know we're to leave that alone. But what in a spiritual context makes you afraid? What is it that the devil uses to torment your mind? Think about that. I'm asking you, and we have time tonight. I want you to consider that. What is it that the devil torments your mind about? Amen. Now, there can be varied things. Not that there aren't things that we would dread, not relish, we don't ever want to see happen. I can tell you as, as a dad, 
My children are grown. They're, uh, all of them are grown. Two of them grown and gone. And that phone rings past 11 or 12 o'clock at night. You know, not so much now as it used to because I, I stay up and work on stuff sometimes at 11 or 12 o'clock. And I have to talk to different uh, people, you know. But uh, when that phone rings at an untimely hour, one of the first things that comes to my mind is, where are my kids? You know, where are my kids? What, what's going on? Job said, the thing I feared the most has come upon me. I remember a time when I used to travel, this is back years ago, that the devil tormented my mind with, with, with saying to my mind, something is going to happen to your family while you're away. Now, there's a possibility that anything could happen to anybody at any time. We know bad things happen to good people. But the enemy used that to try to stop me from doing what God has called me to do. And I can tell you there have been times on that airplane, in that hotel room, amen, out there on foreign soil, when the devil said, I'll kill your family, amen. But that fear that used to come is absent now. I just pray, and I say, devil, they're in God's hands. God is going to take care of what's important to me if I take care of what's important to God. And besides all that, whatever you can do to the body, you can't touch their soul. You can't touch my soul. We're in the hands of God. Somebody say amen. Perfect love. Cast out all fear. Amen. Now in the text, they were in the darkness and confusion, hopelessness of fear. Then the Bible said, Jesus came walking into the room right through the wall. Then came Jesus. Now the question is, when does he come to us? When does he come? He comes, church, when all hope is gone, when you've said all you can say, when you've done all you can do, when you've prayed all you can pray, you've quoted all Scripture, you've cried till there's no more tears, when everything and everybody seem to be in agreement and the enemy is attacking your mind with fear. Amen. Everything says it's over. Jesus shows up and he turns that thing around. You remember the disciples, the Bible said, they were toiling and rowing on the Sea of Galilee. The wind was contrary. In the fourth watch of the night, the Bible said Jesus came to them walking on the water. In the darkest hour of a stormy night, here comes Jesus. It looks like it's over, but when they bail all the water they could bail, when they had done all that they could do, they see a form, they see a figure, they see somebody coming to them on the water. All that fear has attacked them on that sea. They were afraid, the Bible said, supposing it was some kind of a ghost or some kind of a devil but a familiar voice spoke through that storm and said be not afraid it is I oh my God somebody how sweet is the sound of that familiar voice in the middle of a crisis in the middle of a storm in the middle of what looks like is an impossible situation you hear that voice say don't be afraid it's not over. I'm here. I'm on the scene. I'm going to turn everything around. Amen. Is there anybody here tonight that can testify that Jesus can come to you when all hope is gone? No way. No how. Cannot be. It's over. As far as men can see. And as far as I can figure. But when faith reaches up and touches the hem of his garment, everything changes. Everything changes. You've been in that place. And they said, you've seen it. Don't pray. There's no use. It's hopeless. Is there anybody here tonight that knows, though, if Jesus had not come to you, you might be strung out on drugs, stuck in some ungodly relationship, or maybe even locked up in a mental institution, or dead and in hell, had Jesus not reached you when he reached you. But he came. Hallelujah. I said he came. Somebody say, thank God he came to me. 
Oh my, I cannot understand that kind of love. Hallelujah. I can't understand it. I cannot explain it. I just know that it exists. How can a man who done nothing to nobody but heal their sick, raise their dead, represent his father, and cast out their devils, amen, after having been lied on, beat at a whipping post till his entrails were visible from the back of his body and hanging like a criminal on a cross, suspended between heaven and earth, between two thieves. Look at that crowd who's wagging their head who cried he saved him he saved others but himself he cannot save and yet pray to his heavenly father and say father forgive them for they know not what they can do I don't know why Jesus loves me so I just know he does and he came to us in whatever station or situation of life we were in and he saved us and he washed us and he made us apart of his family. When does Jesus come? He comes when it looks like it's over. I wonder if there's anybody here tonight that other people looked at you and said, don't even pray for him. That's a hopeless case right there. He's gone too far. He has done too much. Or no, maybe you don't understand, Rev. Maybe you don't know what he's done. Let me explain it to you. Why, back a few years ago, amen, this is what he got involved in. This is what she was. This is what they did. This is what went on. Amen. None of that matters. Somebody came to me several years ago with pictures, pictures, and they said, this is what this person sitting in this church was involved in. They're filthy. They're trashy. No count. If you let them sit in this church, they'll contaminate this church. And they said, as a matter of fact, if that person comes, I'm not even sure I can attend. And my answer to them was, well, you just have to do what you feel like you have to do. But I said, if the doors of this church ain't open to her, then the doors of this church ain't open to nobody. Hallelujah. Because I don't care where she's been. I don't care what she's done. And she may make a liar and a fool out of me and all of us who are pulling for her best and her best good. But she's going to have a shot. She's going to have a chance. She is going to be able to sit on these pews and say amen while I preach. She's going to be able to sing in that choir and in time teach a Sunday school class. Hallelujah. Amen. Because there's a love that I cannot explain. Yeah, but thank God I've experienced it for myself. Hallelujah. Jesus loves me. This I know for the Bible tells me so. I want to tell somebody here tonight. Ain't no big eyes or little U's in the kingdom of God. There are no betters or no goods in the kingdom of God. He loves us all the same. We all stand on level ground at the foot of Calvary's cross. Amen. So he comes to us when the situation seems hopeless. And where does he come? The Bible said, in the mist. Jesus ain't afraid to step right in the middle of what's going on in your life. Simon Peter stepped out, said, Lord, if that's you, bid me to come. He said, come on. He stepped out to walk on the water and got his mind on the waves, wind, and storm, and began to sink and said, Lord, save me. And Jesus said, I'm sorry, son, but if I get my mind off of what I'm supposed to be doing, two of us might drown. If I get my mind focused on your desperate and dire situation, I might drown in this storm. Sorry, but it's every man for himself. I'm heading to the boat. No, 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 no. Jesus wasn't afraid to reach down and pick up a man who was about to go under. 
He was right there with him at the worst possible and at the end of a man's life, about to be swallowed up by something that he could not handle. He was a drowning man. He was a dying man. But he said, Lord, help me. And the Bible said Jesus reached down and lifted him up. My God, and he walked on that water with Christ back to the safety of the boat. Oh, yeah. He'll come right to the end of the of your storm. He'll be a lawyer in a courtroom. He'll give you favor before magistrates and judges. He'll be your doctor in the sick room. My God, I feel a holy... I'm about to turn this pulpit over here. He'll be your lawyer in the courtroom. He'll be your doctor in the sick room. When everything looks hopeless, he'll even be your marriage counselor. He'll come and step right in the middle of a fiery furnace that has killed everybody else up until right now except you. Amen. But for God. Hallelujah. But for Christ. Now he's not afraid of your impossibility. He'll come to you in a furnace of fire. He'll come to you on top of the storm. He'll go with you through the lion's den and he'll walk through the raging waters. He said, I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you, but I'll go with you all the way, even to the end of the world. A friend that sticks closer than a brother tonight. Somebody give him a hand clap of praise as he So, when does he come? When all hope is lost. You see, our extremity is God's opportunity. Do you know I'm learning that again and again and again and again? My extremity is God's opportunity because if he had shown up before I came to the place that I knew I couldn't say anything I couldn't do anything I can't fix it I might have been tempted to think I'm the one that solved the problem but God has a way of letting us get to the place we can't solve the problem or coming to us in a situation when we come to that time that we just know I can't solve the problem and he solves the problem. He comes when all hope is lost. And, and where does he come? He steps right in the midst of it. Hallelujah. He steps right in the midst of it. Now, how does Jesus come to us? Well, in the text, he comes through locked doors. Now, that's good for somebody here tonight. Amen. The fact that Jesus comes through the locked doors. When you're, when you're barred behind something that bars everybody else from being able to get to you and being able to help you or being able to do anything for you to make your situation better. Nobody can do this but him. Amen. He comes behind locked doors. He'll walk into that crack house or that, that bar room where that son or where that daughter is. He'll come to where you are and he'll help you in the worst hour of your life. Amen. There are no hard cases with the Lord Jesus Christ. His blood is the same for one as it is for all. His method is the same for one as it is for all. Hallelujah. There are no hard cases with Christ. He is able to do exceedingly and abundantly above all. That's beyond my understanding. That's beyond my vocabulary. That's beyond what I can figure out. He does exceedingly beyond all that I can ask or all that I can think. Amen. Brother Buddy, can I testify about that jail? Can I tell it? Can I tell it? Amen. I watched the devil. Maybe one of them will watch it. Tell them to watch it. I've watched the devil fight that man's house, fight his ministry, come against him and Sister Judy, attack those kids. Let me tell you something, saints. When the devil really gets ready to stop you and do you harm, he'll leave you alone for the most part, and he'll jump on your kids. He'll say, I'm going to take them, 
I'm going to steal them. I'm going to destroy them. I'm going to ruin them. I'm going to take them to hell. I watched the devil strike out against this man of God. There was a, a brief time. I know it bothered him. He had a son that was in this county jail down here. And I know the devil had to torment that father. And he'd say to me, pray for my son. Pray for my son. Prayer meetings. Talking one-on-one. Pray for my son. Oh, the devil said, you saved others, but you can't even get your own house. I've got one of your house locked up behind bars in a jailhouse. That's a preacher's boy in a jailhouse. Amen. Well, so through, through just a, a different means and a calling and God opening doors, he winds up preaching in that very jailhouse. Not only does he preach to inmates in the jailhouse, but now he is preaching and praying for our deputies on, on different shifts before they uh, go out and he's able to minister to them. And my wife said, you know, the devil tormented Brother Buddy about his son being in jail for a time. But God said, don't worry, I got this. I'm just going to give you the whole jail. I'm going to give you the whole jail. You see, that's what God does. Hey, my God, somebody. I wish somebody would shout for me one time. Hallelujah. That's what God does. The devil says, look where I've got you. He says, look what I've done. Look what I've done to your life. Look what I've done to your house. Look at the mess your life is in. But God says, I'm going to step in this tangled up mess, and I'm going to untangle it. I'm going to straighten it out, and I'm going to do something here that's going to make somebody shout my praises and glorify my name. It's what God does. It's what God does. He'll go where we can't go. And he'll do what we can't do. He'll come into that troubled marriage. He'll walk right through the wall. Come where you are. Whatever the situation. You may think that that door is locked. Nobody knows, and there's no way out. And then Jesus says, I know, and there is a way out. I am the way out, the truth and the life. He'll come right into that room where that man is sitting, polluting his life, addicted to pornography and lust, and a virtuous day for him is I didn't look at that today. I didn't view that today. But in the privacy, riding down the road, phone in his hand, iPad, the privacy of a locked door in a room, he finds himself going back. And I'm going to give you a statistic that's going to jar you tonight. I heard it said, then I researched it myself. That in this modern technological age with everything right in the palm of our hand, 80% of men, churched, unchurched, national statistic, 80% of men view, actively view pornography. That's from the age of 16 to 39. That's the stat. 80% of the men view pornography. And then once you get past 39 to 40 and beyond, it still only drops to two-thirds of men. So let me say something to you, sir. What you think is hid from all is not hid from God. But I want to offer somebody some help tonight. We live in an age and an era of I cannot help it. It is bigger than I am. It controls me.
We live in an age where they say, I tried to put it down, but it seems to always be attached to my life, invading my life. I want to give you a word of hope tonight. There is deliverance in the Lord Jesus Christ. And my God, somebody say amen. He'll cleanse the vilest of sins. If he could not, if he did not, you and I wouldn't be sitting here in this house together. But he is Savior, he is Lord, and he is able. That struggle is real, young man. That struggle is real, sir. And stats don't lie. But don't you let the devil lock you up behind some closed door of lust pornography, whatever that might be, something that you feel like has a grip on your life that you cannot get away from. Jesus comes where you are, and he breaks the chain of addiction. And let me tell you something else. Let me tell you this, because nobody says your name in church, just because nobody calls you out, and just because nobody seems to flinch or budge or squint when you say amen every time I preach, don't you ever sit there and think that God don't talk to the man behind this pulpit. He knows, and he knows your situation. And the only reason you haven't been terribly embarrassed by now is because God is having mercy on you, because God loves you. And God is saying, I don't want you embarrassed. I don't want you exposed. I want to help you. I want to save you. I want to deliver you from what the devil is doing to try to destroy your life. He breaks the chains of addiction. He comes to where that, that religious pill addict is. He comes to where that religious pill addict is. You know, they're the ones that have a thousand different little minor day surgeries so they can get a new prescription of some kind of a pain pillar, killer. Come on, say amen to me. You know it's out there. You know it exists. Again, stats don't lie. Amen. But God can come to you where you are, and God can deliver you. I remember a couple of years ago, I began to preach that hot and heavy. And I made a couple of very aggressive statements. Like, if I catch anybody selling or buying a pill out in the foyer of that church, I'm going to throw you in the parking lot with my own bare hands. Amen. Because I don't want to see anybody uh, be a pusher in, in a sanctuary. And that's where, believe it or not, a lot of them are. I had a, a drug addict tell me. He said in, in some of the larger churches in our counties, he said they go to the same places I do, and they buy the same pills. I got to bearing down on that hot and heavy here for a while. Somebody came to me not long ago and said I wouldn't admit it back then but I was right there where you said I was and I knew it and that's what I told them I said I know you were I want to tell you tonight he'll deliver from that awful addiction whatever that is Jesus is a deliverer his blood cleanses his blood delivers from all sin whatever it is it has you seemingly locked away I say to you Jesus will come where you are, and he'll bring deliverance. What does he do when he gets there? He'll say, peace be unto you. Changes everything. Musicians, come and help me close tonight. Where does he come? When does he come? And then what does he do when he gets there? How does he come and what does he do? He comes to that storm and declares peace. That storm of fear, habits, addiction, bondage, emotion, physical, family, financial. Somebody in our congregation a few weeks ago got a very frightening report from the doctor. And they said, and that doctor told me that, said it made me angry. I said, why? He said, why me? Why have I got to go through this? Why have I got to live with this? And I was throwing things around the house that was hard to live with. But he said it, it, but he said it was an anger that came because I was afraid. And he said, you were up there preaching a message, and you made a simple statement. We are victors. We are not victims. And he said, when those words came out of your mouth, he said, a change came over my life. 
what happened to him? Well, for one thing, he was exactly where he's supposed to be. If he'd have been at home with his feet propped up watching TV, instead of being in church, he'd miss that. But like that little woman that was bent over, for all those years, nobody could help her. She showed up at that place to worship. He was in the right place at the right time. Jesus didn't notice that. And the Lord touched him and delivered him from that fear. And when he delivered him from that fear, that anger disappeared. And now instead of sitting on a church pew wondering why and listening to the devil, tell him, give him the reasons why. But throw that hand in the air and say, I love you, Lord. I praise you, Master, because Jesus came to him in a desperate need, in a storm. Is there a problem you're facing tonight that you cannot solve? Is there a storm in your life that Jesus needs to calm? Is there something that is threatening you? Are you wrestling with a spirit of fear and dread? Is there a loved one that you're holding on to God for, believing for their salvation and their deliverance? Is there a sinner in the house who feels like there's no hope of ever getting saved? Are you tired of carrying that load around? Are you ready for Jesus to set you free? I don't care what your situation is. I don't care what your circumstance is. I don't care what has you bound tonight or what locked doors you have been living behind. He will come to you where you are he will set you free. If you believe that, stand with me all over this house tonight. That old song we sing, we're not going to sing it or play it tonight, but it just says, what a mighty God we serve. Angels bow before him. Heaven and earth adore him. What a mighty God we serve. He's mighty to save. For the David, he's mighty to deliver. He's mighty to help. Whatever your situation is, whatever you're going through in your life, whatever you're struggling with on a day-to-day -day basis, it's got a hold on your life. I tell you tonight, you can walk out of this house free delivered, cut loose, amen, from it all, because that's what Jesus does. Let me tell you something else. Every person in this house that's born again, every person in this house that's been washed in the blood is a testimony. No matter where you've, what you've done, where you've come from, Jesus is able to save tonight. Men, I want you to understand something this evening. I didn't preach what I preached, try to put all of our men on the spot or under pressure or make anybody's suspicions. You know, none of that. No, no, no. Amen. But God knows who's here. God knows what's needed. Amen. And God is going to set somebody free from whatever it is. You see, the devil has strategized every single person in this house. He knows what I'm susceptible to. He knows what you're susceptible to. He knows what your vulnerabilities are. He knows what he can say or do or use to torment your mind. That's every man, that's every woman, that's every child, that's everybody in this house. Like that little boy who saw that violent act and lived the rest of his life for many years in total fear. They thought they was going to have to put that baby on medication. He lived in such fear. The devil saw something and found something that he could use, and that's what he used to try to destroy and control that young boy. Who knows what he'd have turned out if God hadn't delivered his young mind from the fear that he was living in. Who knows what you'll do? And who knows what you'll be when Jesus comes to you tonight and sets you free from what torments you? Oh, there's freedom. Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made you free. And be not entangled again with the yoke of God. Oh, my God. Father, in the name that's above every name, we come to you tonight. God, I thank you for every person that's here in this house. I thank you, Lord, that no matter what station of life, no matter what circumstance or situation, no matter what it is that the devil tries to use to destroy us, 
Lord, you can come to us. You will come to us where we are. And you'll minister your life and your deliverance. And you'll replace our hopelessness with hope, sadness with joy, and fear with faith. I pray tonight, God, that somebody will take heart and be encouraged tonight because you have given us a word that it's not going to end like you thought it was. It's not over because you're going to intervene and turn a situation around. For somebody this morning, I believe you've done it, God, but you're going to do it for somebody in this house tonight. In the name of Jesus, I declare it by faith. I call it done. I plead the blood of Jesus over every head, every human in this house tonight. I rebuke the enemy and every power of hell that will try to torment, to cause fear, bring hopelessness, try to hinder what the Spirit of God is trying to do in this house right now. I stand against it in the name of Jesus. I rebuke it in Jesus' name tonight. And I believe you, Lord, for someone's deliverance. While your head's bowed and while your eyes are closed, think about it tonight. Think about it tonight. Nobody's business but yours and the Lord's. You're talking, you're thinking, you're meditating on the Lord. And you're recognizing that strategy that you have come to realize the devil has designed against you. He wants to tear up your home. He wants to drive you crazy. He wants you to have a nervous breakdown. He wants you to die lost. He wants to use you as a trophy on his wall and show you off to the rest of the world. Here's one that nobody thought could backslide. Here's one that nobody thought would ever go back on God, but I got them. I'm going to take them to hell. What strategy is it that the enemy's using against you that tonight, is it anger? Is it bitterness? Is it jealousy? Is it that somehow you're always finding yourself in a situation where you're sowing discord? And then you start feeling real bad, and then you get real mad. What is it? that the enemy's using against your life. What is he doing to stop your progress? To lock you into something you can't seem to get out of, but you keep making that same old vicious cycle over and over and over and over and over again. And you recognize it, and maybe you're a person here tonight that's understanding other people recognize it as well, but you're ready to break out of that. All you need is for Jesus to come to you one more time and you to say, Lord, I'm ready for you to do your work. Set me free. Turn me loose. Unbind me. Deliver me. Help me. Cry out to him like a man that's about to drown and go under. Lord, help me. He'll reach down and pick you up tonight. Hallelujah. I'm not going to ask you to step out and come. I'll just invite the church to the altar tonight. Everyone that will come and let's find a place around this altar and let's cast our cares on him. Everybody that's here, I want you to come if you can pray. If you can make your way to this altar, I want you just to come. Kneel somewhere. Pray. Talk to God.